0: 13 years old, such an awesome young lady. She's a friend of mine. And uh, I noticed when we were getting ready for this ride, she was a little more serious than she had been the rest of the day. I mean, if you've had kids, you know, what we're talking about just having the time of her life. But as we get into this ride and you're going through the rails and the line and trying to get up to the front and you're watching with anticipation everything that's happening, you see the one, two, three. Oh, that was not good. Let's try that again. You see the one, two, three. Right? And, and, and you get to feel that feeling in your stomach because you know you're about to get on that ride. And I kept watching her, and she got a little bit more serious the closer that we got. And then she started chanting something. And this is why she was chanting, I think I'm going to be sick. I think I'm going to be <laughs> sick. I think I'm going to be sick. Like, she was getting more nervous the more that she got on, and then we got. She was sitting right in front of me and she was chanting, I think I'm going to be sick, I think I'm going to be sick. And and then there's this moment of anticipation right before the one, two, three, right before that moment that you have to kind of wait. And I hear her scream out, let's go already, right? And, And she's now in the ride and she's screaming to the top of her lungs. If someone was trying to take her from her family, I do not believe she would scream any more than she did in that moment. And the rest of the ride, all I kept thinking was, please don't get sick. Please don't get sick because <laughs> I'm behind her. And so it went in my direction now. And, 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 and I laughed the whole ride. I really did laugh the whole ride because she screamed the entire time. And then as we got to the end of the ride, I couldn't wait to see the look on her face. And she wasn't white. She wasn't pale. She wasn't anything like that. She was having a time of her life. She was laughing and had this big smile on her face. She had an incredible experience i thought about that since that moment. Like in anticipation of what was about to happen. Like she's terrified, but in the experience, she's having the time of her life. And I'll be honest with you, I have felt exactly the same way leading up to this experience. I think about moving our church from one location to the next. I think about going from one season to the next. And there's moments where I'm just praying, God, don't let me get sick. Don't let me get sick. And then other moments, I just feel like I've got my hands lifted high, and I'm rejoicing and believing that God wants to do some incredible stuff. But here's the thing. I believe some of you feel exactly the same way, and it has nothing to do with what's happening in this season of our church. You're chasing a dream. You've got purpose in your heart that you want to fulfill. You've got this thing in in your heart that you want to see God do. You have prayers that you've been praying. You've got your own mountain to climb and your family and your relationships on your job. You've got challenges to overcome. Some of you, not only are we walking into this new season as a church family, but some of you are walking into a new season in your own life. And in one moment, you're filled with incredible courage, and you believe that there's nothing in the world that God won't do through you. And in other moments, you are shaking in your boots. We dropped our daughter off, who was here this morning, seeing it was so good to have my daughter home. And, and, and when we dropped her off at college, and I've shared this at North Park before, but the president of Lee University, Paul Kahn, is addressing the incoming freshman parents. And I'll never forget something that he said in that moment because I desperately needed to hear what he had to say. And here's what he said. Two realities can exist at the same time. Now, let that sit in for just a second. Two realities can exist at exactly the same time. Now, here was the context that he was speaking in. He said, your kids will call home and they will be homesick. I mean, they will call you crying, and the temptation is for you to get in the car and to come rescue them and bring them home. And he said, and the reality is they are homesick. Because no matter how awesome this university is, no matter how great campus life is, no matter how great it is here, they will not be with their family." And they will not be with their church home. And as much as we do to create a home like experience, we just can't duplicate what it's like for them to be at home. So they will call you and they will be homesick. And he said, but two realities can exist at the same time. At the same time as they are longing to be home, they are exactly where they need to be. They are living on purpose and they are having the time of their life. Now, I needed to hear that. Because the first time my baby called crying and said come get me, I'm in the car and I'm driving to Cleveland, Tennessee and I'm bringing her home, right? So I needed to be reminded that two realities can exist at the same time. But here's what I'm learning. Is that principle applies and relates to so many different areas of our lives. Think about it as it relates to faith. I'll be honest. When I was growing up, I believed, and I'm not saying I was taught this way. I just developed this belief in my own head and my own heart that faith is the absence coming next is, is going to trump whatever you just said. And oftentimes when we use the word but, and not only is it an excuse that follows next, but often whatever comes next paralyzes us. I mean, you may say I love my spouse, but we've got some issues, and so we get paralyzed to do anything about it. Man, I, 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 I love God's word, and I trust His word, but, but I've got some questions and so all of a sudden we just kind of stop seeking, and we let those questions overwhelm the good things that God wants to do in our life. You may say, I want to share my faith, but I'm not great with words, so what do we do? We keep our mouth shut. Here's what I want you to see. Both realities can exist at the same time. The question is, how do I respond? If I say I love my wife and we've got some issues, then we can work on those issues. I I believe God's word and I trust his word and I've got some questions so I need to seek out answers to those questions. I want to share my faith and I'm not great with words so I need to figure out how to do this so I can have some courage to share my faith. See the question is how do we respond when those two realities exist? You're going to have difficult moments in your life and you're going to have difficult decisions to make and here's what I also know. We serve Jesus, and he is the living son of the living God, and he can always be trusted. Now, I, I don't know if this is your first time at North Park or not, but here's what we commit to. We always want to be real, and we always want to hit tough issues, and we're not afraid to tackle the questions that we face. And so let's just call it out and get really honest. There are some of you in this room today, you were struggling to trust God. You were struggling to put your faith and trust completely in him. And the reason is because right now you're in pain. And, and right now you're struggling. And right now you're hurting. And right now you are frustrated. I want you to look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I told you I could get there. And, and the Apostle Paul is this incredible hero of faith. And he's this incredible guy. But here's what I want you to see. He had some frustration in his life. In fact, to humble him, God allowed Satan To give him what scripture refers to as a thorn in the flesh. Now we don't exactly know what that thorn is. I did some research because I'm nosy and I want to see what that is. And a lot of people thought that it was a a physical infirmity. Some people thought that it was a temptation in his life that he struggled to overcome. Some people think that it was the past that he dealt with that God delivered him from. But it constantly was a, a, a reoccurring thought in his mind and he struggled to let go of the things that he had done and the choices that he's made. My favorite one was one person said they thought it was because he was ugly and he had some kind of physical deformity and that was keeping him from going forward. I also like that we don't know what it is. I like the fact that we're not exactly sure what it is because if it was just one thing that I think some of us would struggle to identify, but every one of us in the room can identify with this situation in Paul's life. And so he has this, this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know it was so painful for him that he asked God to remove it three different times in his life. But here's what I want you to see. Relief was not God's plan for Paul. There was purpose that was in his pain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Paul even says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time, this was God's response. God said, my grace is all that you need. Some translations say, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, my grace is enough. That form that's in your flesh, that feeling, that suffering, whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, that that reality that you're experiencing, no matter what it is, God says, my grace is all you need. And my grace is sufficient for you. And God says, my power works best in what? In weakness. And so Paul, that was enough for him. All of a sudden, it turned his pain into a moment of gratitude. Look at what he says. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he says, I'm strong. I like the way the message paraphrase puts it. Uh, listen to this. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case for Christ's strength that was moving in on my weaknesses. And I like what he says. Now I take limitations and stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, the abuse, the accidents, the opposition, the bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. Wouldn't that be great for us to be able to do today that no matter what we're facing, no matter what the reality is, that we could say, you know what? Now I take all of this in stride. Whatever it is, the abuse, the accidents, the oppositions, the bad breaks, here's my response to all of it. I just let Christ take over. And the weaker I get, the stronger that I become. Now, I know some of you are Bible note takers. Let me give you three things that you can write now. Three lessons from this text today. And here's the first thing. Our faith and our character are often developed in times of adversity. And I look back over my life, and I think most of us in the room that have lived life a little bit can say the same thing. I'm reminded that character is often formed in our conflict. I mean, it would have been easy for for God to just take the thorn out of Paul's life, but there was something that God was doing in him. There was something that he was developing in his life. And just like Paul, just like you, like me, we often find that God is shaping our faith and our character in those times of, of conflict, not those times of victory. I like what Dr. Samuel Chan writes. He says, sometimes, I want you to listen to this. This is good. Sometimes God delivers you from the fiery furnace, and then other times, he just makes you fireproof. Isn't that good? When he makes you fireproof, then you have to endure it, and I love this thought. God is more concerned with your development than he is with your comfort. God is more concerned about what he's developing in your life than you being comfortable. That's why we say all the time that we have to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's also why we say that God's plan for your marriage is not for you to be happy but God's plan for your marriage is for you to be holy. Because through the challenges that you face He's developing a holiness that's in your life. And I believe when we're walking according to God's word in our life and our marriages are holy, I believe that our response God's response, our marriage response, we are going to be Sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, where Paul says, you know what? We are pressed on every side by trouble, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are never driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are never destroyed. And he finishes by saying, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. So here's the second thing. Sometimes God delivers us from the pain, but more often he delivers us through it. And I know that's not what we want. I know what we want is for God to deliver us from the pain. But here's what I want you to see is sometimes his purpose is just to show you that he's faithful enough to be with you through those experiences And if you're like me, I know we want to connect the dots and we want to be able to see the purpose in the pain and and we want to see what it is that God is doing. And sometimes we have more questions than we do answers. And so our instinct is to respond like the disciples did when their boat was going down because of a storm that they were in. And, And all of a sudden they started looking for Jesus because Jesus was with them in the boat. But they didn't find Jesus praying, and they didn't find Jesus bailing out water. They didn't find Jesus coming up with a strategic plan to get them out of the storm. In fact, they found Jesus sleeping. Jesus was literally taking a nap. Oh, that's not a story. That's like a real thing. He was taking a nap. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus took naps. I want to take a nap. Like, that's following Christ. And, and, and above the noise... And above the winds and above the waves, In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, this is what they said. I want you to see the moment. They're scared to death. The reality is we know Jesus is with us, but we're sinking, right? We know Jesus' presence is here, but our ship is going down. And so this is what they cried out. Teacher, do you not care if we drown? That was their response. Jesus, do you not care about what I'm feeling right now? Jesus, do you not care that I'm struggling right here? Jesus, do you not care that my family's hurting? Jesus, do you not care about what this doctor said? Jesus, do you not care that I don't know how I'm going to pay my next bill? Jesus, do you not care about my pain and suffering? And see, the reality is we feel so much the same as those disciples felt. We believe in the power of God. We, we trust him, or at least we say we do. And at the same time, we're scared that death he's not going to come through. And so our response, whether we say it out loud or we just battle it in our heart, is, Jesus, do you not care? And here's what I need you to do. If you ever feel that way, and some of you feel that way right now, When you're tempted to think that he doesn't care, here's what I need you to do. I need you to hit the pause button, and I need you to look back to the cross. Because in that moment on the cross, God poured all of the evil and the sin and the horror of the human condition on his sinless son. And there has never been any greater act of love. His willing, sacrificial death for us was the ultimate statement of love. So you might not see the purpose in the pain. You might not see exactly what it is that God's doing. You want God to deliver you from it, but right now you're in a season where He's committed to delivering you through it. And you wonder, does God care? What you're facing today cannot be because He doesn't care, because He has proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that He loves you. And I wish, I wish that every single trial that you face, that he would just deliver you from it. But I can promise you, he will always deliver you through it. I was here yesterday, and and we were meeting with the team and and getting ready for you and getting ready for worship, and and somebody just kind of shouted out in the darkness and said, Pastor Anthony, I I just got a text that, that Mike Jernigan's mother passed away. And I was so shocked by that. I knew she had surgery last week, and she wasn't doing fantastic, but, man, I just wasn't anticipating that. And so um, I called Mike and and Stephanie, and and then later in the evening went over and and sat on the floor beside Mike. And and Mike said something that I I was um, surprised by. He said, Pastor, I will see you in the bed tomorrow, and I will be there to love and serve on my church family. And he said, I want you to know that four years ago, I wouldn't have been able to respond this way. I wouldn't have understood. I wouldn't have been able to handle losing my mom like this. He said, but I want you to know because of the grace of God that I have found by coming to this church, like I am, I am sensing His presence walking with me. What was he saying? He was saying God didn't deliver me from it, but He's delivering me through it. And He's walking with me like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Mike and Stephanie are sitting right here today worshiping Jesus despite the reality that they're experiencing in their family. They are living proof that God said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, but I will be with you to the very ends of the earth. I will walk you through it. See, the third lesson is this. Those stumbling blocks, those things that trip us up, here's what they can become if you'll pay attention. They will become stepping stones of growth. Joshua, He's this incredible leader in the Old Testament. And, and Moses is leading the children of Israel out of the promised land. And all of a sudden, Moses dies. And there's this transition of leadership. And, and Joshua steps up. And he becomes God's man in that moment. But he's terrified. I mean, God's hand is on his life. The reality is he sees the presence of God. God's speaking to him. God's walking with him. And at the same time, he's shaking in his Because this is a new season. This is a new opportunity. He's not sure how this is going to turn out. And in the middle of all that, in Joshua 1.9, this is what God says to him. This is my command, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. I care about you. I am with you. You don't have to worry about anything. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you everywhere that you go. I will be with you. And I need you to understand today that that is our hope. That is my hope. He was with me when I was in the fifth grade at the church in Henderson, North Carolina. And I can take you to the place. It's a Sunday night. And I knelt down in an altar, and God made his presence so real to me as just a kid just praying in the altar with a bunch of students and leaders that were praying over us. That was a defining moment of my life, and maybe for the first time, my eyes were open to the fact that God's presence was with me. And I think back over, I felt God calling me in the ministry, and, and, and I sensed God putting purpose in my heart just like he's put in yours, and I recognized that God's presence was God's presence was with my wife and I as we, as we were walking through marriage and, and trying to figure that out. And he was with us when, when, when we found out that Mary and, and miscarried and we lost our first child. God's presence was there. When God called us to, to play at North Park Church 12 years ago and we stepped out in faith, we all recognized that his presence was there and he was with us just as close as the mention of his name. He was with us as my wife walked through breast cancer. He was with us this year as my brother went home to be with Jesus. God's presence is here. He's here even now, and he will be with us then. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the very ends of the earth. It's why I say all the time, he is a God who can always be trusted because he has always proven himself yeah, and you're going to go through some stuff, but you're never going to have to go through it alone. I had this question that was in my mind. It's been in my mind all week. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? We've done a lot this, this year. We've taken some huge steps of faith, and we've been praying some bold prayers because we believe bold prayers. Our honor God. God honors bold prayer. And all I can hear in the back of my mind is what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? You trust God, but what if it doesn't work? And I picked up the phone and I called a friend and, and, and I confessed that I was having that question and it was replaying in my mind over and over. It was like it was a loop. And it was just playing in my mind in the background. And, and, and this is what he said to me and I would speak these words over you today. He said, Anthony, that sounds nothing like what the Holy Spirit would say. He said, that is a condemning question. Just the very nature. Well, what if it doesn't work? a condemning question. And this is what God's word says. There is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. He said, so that question, that doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit, but it does sound like the enemy who is speaking war over your life every single day. And he said, so here's what I want you to do. When you hear those questions, those condemning questions that are in your mind, what if it's not going to work? What if we don't make it? what if God don't come through? What what, what if it doesn't work this time? What if it works for him that won't won't work for me? Whatever the condemning question is, here's what he said. I want you to flip it and I want you to pray. And so all week long, I've just been flipping it and I've been praying. Every time I'd hear the question, I would start thinking, you know what, God? It might not work. Like, there's a chance I've been made aware that it might not work if we do this in our own power and our own strength It will not work, but we're trusting you and we're taking the steps of obedience in you god you've given to us and 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 we cannot fail if we're trusting you so i hold on to you and i just begin to pray for you and i begin to pray for this school and i begin to pray for this community and for this city every time there would be a condemning question i would flip it and i would turn it into a moment to intercede for our city and my friend said this he said if you'll flip it enough times the enemy will stop bringing you those questions Because if he recognizes that every time he speaks a condemning thought or question over your mind, and your response is to not dwell on the thought, but instead you start praying and seeking God's face, that's the last thing he wants you to do, so that's the quickest way to shut him up. So let's shut him up. And let's trust God with every single thing.